Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with Dwayne Rife, president of Global Source International. Dwayne, how are you doing today? Doing well, Andrew. It's great to be here. Oh, I appreciate you spending some time with us on Business Ninjas. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and about Global Source International. Sure. So I'm the president of Global Source International. I live in Hope Sound, Florida, which is about a half hour north of West Palm Beach. And I was born in Guatemala, but grew up in Hope Sound, went to school in D.C. at George Washington University, and have had the, the, the privilege of leading some national and global companies in sales and marketing. And about seven or eight years ago, I started my own firm, Global Source International where I help companies grow and scale their, their companies, help them build out their sales team. And I really enjoy helping companies hit their targets, reach their strategic initiatives, and grow using their, their number one asset, their people. Excellent. And, and who are your clients? What sort of verticals are you servicing these days? So I work with clients in all verticals that require a sales team. So whether it's the fintech space, manufacturing, logistics, distribution, you know, B2B focus, B2C focus, but companies that are looking to build out a sales team, whether it's an outside sales team, an inside sales team, working with SDR companies mm -hmm. and building out, you know, a call center, uh, kind of all the above. So companies that really focus on how can we take our service or products and how can we find the right clients that meet the needs that we have. Gotcha. And and, and what are the most common uh, problems you're solving for those clients? So typically, I love that question, by the way, but typically my clients many times have pain points. Of course. They struggling in sales, they're stagnant in sales, maybe they're not hitting the growth that they want, or they have a home run product or service that they're just growing exponentially quicker than they want to grow, and they need some help with the infrastructure. They need help building out the sales team. And so many clients, you know, typically this... I can say this, I've been in sales my whole career, but many salespeople are lazy, they're expensive, over-promise, under-deliver. And, and they base their strategy on subjectivity, meaning, hey, I think we're going to hit this target. I think we're going to get that million-dollar order. I think we're going to be up 10%. You hear that a lot, and I've, I've said that. I think. I think this is going to be pretty. I have a good feeling. I think we're going to get the PO. And I like to take that whole kind of parameter of I think and let's make it objective take the object the subjectivity away let's make it objective based on the data so now instead of I think this is what the numbers say what are your close cycles how many clients what's your daily activities to get to where you need to be based on the close cycle that you know you have how many clients how many prospective clients do you have to talk to to bring them into a qualified client What's your close rate once you have a qualified client? And, you know, kind of help implement CRM, help implement the, the metrics and dashboards. Where we, What I found is CEOs can make a good decision if they have all the data. Many times we're tasked to make a decision and we have door number one or door number two. And many times there may be four or five doors to choose from. And we miss that opportunity because we're only focused on A or B. Hey, these are challenging metrics to 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 follow these days because the sales cycle seems to have lengthened pretty much across the board, right? It seems like more people do 
more research than ever to make minor consumer purchases, let alone corporate ones. And as as companies go in through, excuse me, grow and scale through acquisition, now there's even more steps in the food chain to make these decisions. So uh, I would imagine your perspectives are invaluable in that in that case. What differentiates you from your competition? What makes you stand out in the market? So I think the differentiation is with my clients, I start every engagement with a blank canvas. You know, I'm a consultant, but I don't like that term. Many times we've all worked with consultants and some of the, the bad experiences I've had where consultants come in, they charge a lot of money, they leave a to-do list, and then they disappear. And we're like, yeah, we know it was broken, but like, how are we going to fix it? And so I just, I differentiate myself. I, I kind of call myself a builder. I'm a builder. I'm going to come in and I'm going to help build out your sales team. I'm going to help build out your sales department. I'm going to focus on the opportunities that we need to fix, focus on the dashboards, the metrics that we need to have to get the data we need to make the right choice. And, you know, sometimes clients say, well, I need to get this in place before we bring you on. I need to fix this in my company. I need to kind of, you know, clean things up a little bit. And my response is I kind of laugh and I say, well, I expect there to be dirty dishes in the sink when I get to your place. That's my job. I'm going to roll up my sleeves alongside the CEO, alongside his team, and we're going to fix things. I'm going to wash the dishes. I'm going to dry them. I'm going to help you put it together, put it back to put it back on the shelf where it belongs, put it away. And, and I find that that by starting with a blank slate with a clean canvas, you know, other, other, other companies and other firms I see, they come in with their silver bullet, what worked well on their past client, what worked well on their past engagement. And every company is different. I always look at every company and I, I ask a lot of questions, but I have to find out where were you, where are you, and where do we want to go? That's really crucial to understanding what kind of company are you? And I found that working with, let's say, a manufacturing company, for example, they think they're B2B. Many times they are. They sell through distribution. They sell through dealers. But they may have a B2C component on their website. They may have a, a, a product or a service where they, they kind of sell direct to the client. Well, now they have two separate channels that they're trying to market on a B2B focus that needs to go into a B2C, you know, kind of square peg into a round hole, so to speak. And so I found that you really, I really ask a lot of questions and I try to understand what is that company's culture? I'm not there to change their culture just because I like my culture better. I like my go-to-market strategy better. I like to, you know, there, it doesn't make sense to me to try to fix something that's not broken. However, if there's a more efficient way, if there's a way to fast forward the movie, so to speak, and say, okay, what are we going to get to at the end of the movie? Are we going to hit our targets? Are we going to hit our initiatives? Then we can pull from real live experience, real live expertise that says this is this will work. Yes, we're going to have to do a detour, but I know the quickest way to get there on this detour. And then we're going to, you know, I always ask questions on a daily and weekly basis. What is the market conditions doing? What do we need to do differently this week than we thought we needed to do last week? It's really important from a sales perspective on building out a sales team that you you plan ahead and you and you you anticipate detours you anticipate road closings you anticipate government regulations political changes geopolitical situations that none of us 
could even written in a fictional script that we hope never happened. But you know what? It's real. We've got to deal with it. And then what are we going to do? We're not going to go hide. We're not going to go put our head in the sand. We're going to go full steam ahead, but we're going to go with a calculated strategy that will reduce as much risk as possible and really show as much opportunity to the bottom line and top line. And I've found that companies that are even more aggressive in difficult times, whether it's political, economic, and we're having a lot of economic uncertainty, recession, depression, you know, everything's across the board. How bad is it going to get? Cost of money's gone up. But you can have a kind of a doom and gloom approach, or you can say, you know, during tough times, that's where the most opportunities arise. And that's where companies can really separate themselves from the pack by having a confident strategic plan that they execute and helps them move forward. That, that, that feeds directly in my, into my next question. Life is not a linear path, right? We don't always see what's coming. It's, it's about our response. Tell me about the COVID years and the, the challenges and opportunities to grow your business through the last couple of years. So COVID just, you know, represented a lot of things to a lot of people. I think I love that question because when you ask, hey, what 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 does COVID mean to you? We have, we all have a million different things we'd like to say. You know, for me personally, my father passed away in COVID early in 2020. Um, you know, at the end of 2020, but early in the in the pandemic. I know probably 30, 40 people personally that passed away. So it was, you know, very devastating. It was something that was, you know, we wish we could have hit reset on. But when you look at what opportunities came out of COVID, to me, I like to focus on that. Was it difficult? Did some companies go out of business? Yes. Did some companies have to close the doors? Yes. Some of those, not all, but some of those companies probably would have gone out of business in six or 12 months anyways. COVID facilitated that early exit. They ran out of cash. They weren't, they, they didn't probably have the right um, game plan around their cash flow predict projections. Their, their sales projections, you know, they overspent, got out over their skis, times were good. I, I, you see that a lot when, when, you know, in the last, you know, few decades, when you see the highs and lows of construction industry, housing industry, you know, and, and, and you know, I've talked with people, they bought their first home in the 70s and they paid 18, 20% interest. And they're like, yeah, we were excited about a good deal. And now people are really freaking out at seven or 8%. And, and yes, that's, you know, a lot more than free money it was, you know, a year or two ago, for the most part. But there's still opportunity. And it's how do you look at it? How do you address it? And and how I found that even in, a, in you know, the early 2000s, when the construction industry kind of collapsed around the housing market, there were companies that grabbed market share. So if the market's down 5%, that could be very, very negative for the overall economy. If the market's down 5% and you have 5% market share, you should still grab plenty of business. What do you need to do to, to get new market share? What do you need to do to get new clientele? What do you need to do to focus your your company strategy, maybe into a smaller smaller niche or a wider niche, depending on what verticals you're in and, and how your market share is and what assets you do have to deploy in the sales and marketing side? So I find that, you know, COVID was, was huge. You know, it, it, the entire world shut down. The global supply chain was a mess that I don't never... I've not talked to anyone who has experienced anything like it from commodities going up, you know, multiple times in a sing single day that maybe went two or three years without very much price variation to availability, 
to plants being struck, shut down. You know, it feels like we're still seeing some supply chain glitches that still being blamed on COVID. And, you know, I know container prices from China to the U.S. typically on a 40 foot container was maybe, let's say, three thousand dollars for for a shipment. I've, I saw some clients had expedited shipments of upwards of over $30,000 per container. So Ooh. significant cost. And obviously, depending on what you put in it, what kind of margins you have could have a significant make or break on your business model. But I also see all companies that did well make more money than they've ever made during that time. Many companies did tighten the reins on expenses. So a lot of companies had all-time high profits. Some, many uh, in the construction industry, for example, tied to construction, manufacturing services, blue-collar services, construction services, had all-time high. And those, you know, logistic companies within that, uh, distribution within that circle, all-time high, maybe 20-year high record sales, top line and bottom line. So I saw coming off, pandemic, off the pandemic, several companies, many companies were sitting with some cash to deploy? How can we continue to grow? How can we continue to grow market share? How can we take, you know, one of the things I like to do and I focus on, I've been to over 50 countries, mostly on business. And so I, I love helping U.S. companies grow their international exports. There's a whole art to that. There's, uh, there's you know, working with, you know, the, the U.S. commercial service and working with, with you know, some of the, um, the opportunities that companies have that if you haven't done export before, you don't realize what's out there what and the opportunity. At the same time, some U.S. companies have products that will never sell overseas. You have to understand what the difference is and how to, you know, invest your money or, or, or lose it appropriately. And also, I've seen uh, international companies come into the U.S. market looking to get into the U.S. market. And start manufacturing, start distribution, start services. They have they and they have their team that they don't need professional, so to speak. They have their team in back home, wherever they are, whether it's Latin America, Europe, Asia. But now they they come into the U.S. market. They need professionals to help them assimilate and get into U.S. tax law, HR. You know, get them get their finances set up so they can deploy and and, and access to capital is really key. So I found that you know the challenge of the challenges and the horrors of of COVID. If had if taken with the right perspective, turned in some of the best opportunities any of us could hope for. Well, hey, perspective is everything, right? In, in any challenge, you can you can circle your wagons and pack up shop, or you can look for opportunities. I mean, you know, companies that were inflexible and didn't find a way to pivot are are in the rearview mirror, and and companies that decided that this was an opportunity that that change had to happen. I mean, look, change is a constant, right? Uh, are doing well. So I, I appreciate your perspective on that. Let, let's switch to sort of a marketing slant for a second. What role has content played in the growth of Global Source International? So for me, the best content are the partners that you work with. And I think that sounds kind of odd because obviously when we talk marketing, we look, okay, SEO optimization, we got to send a bunch of emails out. We want marketing. We want to get you know, optimize our Google searches. We want a, a really good website. But in this in this world of relationships really do matter. Of course. And who you know, we all laugh about it, but it's true. Who we know is more important than what we know. But I found out found that if we have relationships that are built on trust and we have a what we know at an excellent level of a, a, a level that is extremely high based on experience, based on data, based on execution and the ability to deliver. That goes hand in hand with really, okay, 
we're going to be at capacity because we do what we say we're going to do. We have the expertise to back it up, whether it's a product or service. And so I found that I really, I really focus on how can I earn that trust? Whether I'm looking for a new client, I'm looking with a new partner. Some of my success in my firm is I have some of the best partners anyone could ever work with. CFOs, fractional C, you know, anyone in the fractional C-suite space, CEOs, COOs, you know, mm-hmm. people that work, uh, you know, financial firms, banking firms, banking institutions, people that work in that small to medium-sized sector of businesses that at times play a role for these businesses and these business owners. That's how they partner. When I have clients that have a need, I love to connect them with someone who I've already vetted, someone who I I know is going to, you know, do what they say they're going to do and plug and play. Just introduce them and I walk away. I don't make money off of it. I make money off what I do. But I found that that marketing of earning the trust, I can't demand someone trust me because quite frankly, we've all been burned by some guy that we thought was going to really take us to the next level. Some firm that we thought was going to do what they said they were going to do. Give us leads, give us this, take this, figure out our finances, you know, and, you know, even around sales, there's a lot of, Hey, you just do this and it'll work. Many times it's focused on it, you know, a, a, a business to direct consumer approach where it's, they're selling things versus a B to, you know, B2B focus is a different focus for many companies and developing those relationships, developing the level of trust along the supply chain, whether it's through dealers, distribution is very important. And you can't just sit back and let marketing do its work on emails and, you know, social media and SEO optimization. It's really got to be kind of boots on the ground, developing relationships, earning that trust, and then following up to make sure you remain top of mind with people. Hey, human beings at, at every step still, right? No matter where, where we're talking about in the corporate landscape, it's still human beings and relationships are, are everything. And, and right. building trust is everything. So no, I, once again, I appreciate your perspective. All right, let, let's look down the road a year. What are some things you'd like to be celebrating personally and professionally? Personally, my wife and I have been married 28 years. So, you know, a couple of years, we've got 30 years. We have three boys. And two are married, and one of our last one to get married will be married in, in uh, January. So that's really exciting. We have our first granddaughter, uh, grandbaby. She'll be one years old in November. So that's th- those are some really uh, for me uh, being a proud dad and a and a husband is just uh, more important than anything professionally. Professionally, I want to be in a position where I can always serve my clients at the highest level possible. It's really, it's, I take every engagement seriously. Uh, company, when companies bring in any, any vendor, any partner, any consultant, they put a level of trust. You're kind of coming in, you're looking under the hood, you're looking under the, the rugs, you're looking in their kitchen at the dirty dishes in the sink. And you, you've got a, you've got a lot at stake. You don't want to ruin their relationship with their clients. You don't want to ruin their reputation with their own employees. You want to, increase morale of the company you want to make it a better place and many times you don't know how long you're going to be there i know for me i'm always working myself out of a job that's my goal i'm not there for long-term stock options to be at a w-2 employee to be caught up in the politics that come with that i'm there to tell the owner what he should hear not what he wants to hear based on the data i'm there to make sure that the employees are valued your number one asset are your employees it's not your 
It's not your equipment. It's not your real estate. It's your employees. And so how do you, how you deploy that capital and that human capital is very important. Uh, employees are, they're valued in different ways. They want respect. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. It's not just in the paycheck. It's not just in their commission structure. It's bigger than that. And so I work hard with that. Um, I'm also professionally, I see that AI is going to play a bigger role in what we've all done. And I see there's very, there's different sides of AI good or bad, or, you know, is it sentient and going to control the world? And I love hearing those debates and, and talking through that. But, you know, I think the companies that embrace AI and see it as a tool and as an asset are going to be able to cover more ground. So I'm not afraid of it. I'm, I have some some really exciting tools and AI that I can implement with my clients and my and my engagements that cover a lot more ground, give a much better um, exposure to the data and with less with less manual work that you can get it, meaning you can get it at less of a cost, but there still is always a human element in it. There has to be a, you can't just go to chat GPT and say, hey, I need a business strategy and it pumps it out. It'll do that, but you need that human element of expertise, of industry knowledge. You've got to make sure you hold its hand very tightly, verify everything and throw that that industry um, knowledge and and execute appropriately. You know, it doesn't it doesn't know what the market conditions are. It doesn't understand what you need to do when the market says we're going right. And you need to make a left and stay ahead of the pack. And that's where, you know, having working with CEOs that understand the market. Under, they have a great gut connection of what the market is going, what it's been and where it's going. And I've found, you know, I can't do good work for a bad client. And I've, I'm really, really privileged to work with some of the, the, the brightest CEOs and founders and, and, and presidents of companies that know the market like people I've never seen. They know where they need to go and they're looking to really find a, a, a you know, a solution. And, and I kind of find, you know, there's, you know, thousands and thousands of small to medium sized businesses. And I've worked with companies that, you know, do, you know, multi-billion dollar companies. So I have a whole, whole array of size companies. I love companies that don't even have a million dollars in annual revenue because that's something unique and I can help move the needle. I love working with companies that, you know, the 10 to $25 million space because there's something you can work with and they usually have funding that you can kind of execute a little quicker. And then some large companies, you know, they need help as well. You know, in the logistics space, I, I did an engagement in the logistics space recently where, you know, multi-billion dollar company and they have global presence and they had some challenges. And I love helping them work through that and really add value in those spaces. But what I find is that most of the companies that I work with, they're either hugely frustrational, they have frustrations, they have huge pain points, or they're very aspirational. Mm -hmm. We want to invest in ourselves. We want to get better. We want to hire the best of the best. Those two kind of outliers are what I work best with. Again, perspective is everything, right? Mm -hmm. uh, pain points can become aspirations as long as you put positive energy into it and, and, and you, you take a slight sidestep and you don't stay in that blinders sort of, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way we have to do it. Again, your outside perspective is invaluable to these clients. Please tell us what's your URL? Where can people find Global Source International and what social media outlets are using these days as well? Yeah, so for me, I'm not really, I'm not looking to broadcast to the masses as far as I don't go out and try to sell my services to a CEO who's happy with 95% of his business and hitting his, and happy with his 10% growth. 
So my website is globalsourceinternational.com and you can find some videos. You can find, I have an assessment there uh, of sales assessment of your team. Uh, of where are you, where you want to go? And, and then I'm, I'm myself, I'm on LinkedIn under Dwayne Reif, D-O-A-N-E-R-E-I-F-F. And so that's, that's my, my um, main social media is LinkedIn. I found that's probably the best space for me reaching the, the, the CEO founder, president of companies, and then partners that I work with that are in the, the fractional C-suite space. Dwayne Reif of Global Source International, thank you for spending some time with us today on Business Ninjas. I wish you and your growing family all the best and continued success at uh, Global Source International. Thank you, Andrew. Love being here. My distinct pleasure. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.